Welcome. How you guys doing? Let's get excited. How are we doing today? There we go. I want to say hello right now to all of our churches who are tuned in with us. Thank you guys for joining us. Let's give it up right now for Rockport, for Stone Oak, for Padre Island, Rockport Fulton. We love you guys. Thank you all for being with us. Also, thank you those who watch us online. Thank you. We have a couple that came all the way from St. Louis to be with us today. They watch us online every week and have for the last three years. How cool is that? Let's give it up for our online audience as well. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. Well, I'm excited today to be starting a brand new two-part series called My Part, God's Part. Oftentimes we're waiting on God to do something in our lives, but God may be waiting on us. And so we're going to unpack this today. I'm super excited about the series. Are you guys ready to dive right in? Because I'm ready to just go at it. All right, so here we go. And so first thing I want to do is I want to give you a sentence that God just kind of gave me. I wrote this, and in the next two weeks, we're going to answer all the issues in this sentence. Here it is. Today we are in a crisis of depression and unhappiness. People have become ineffective and listless. The answer to understand God, the answer is to understand God can change us, but we must first do our part. So we're gonna unpack that today because there's always a our part and a God's part. And I think it's very important to understand the difference between those two, but I bet you may find yourself somewhere in all of these scriptures. The first one is this, my part is to obey God God's part is to guide me. This is what it says in scripture. It says in Philippians chapter two, obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So God wants us to obey him. When you obey God, you're saying, God, I'm trusting my life, my decisions in your hands. So whatever your word says, whatever you're leading me to do, I will do that instead of what I wanna do. I will obey you. When you do that, God gets your mind on him. And look what happens next, Romans chapter 12. Don't live any longer uh, the way the world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Then you will be able to test what God wants for you. But what we do is we skip straight to the whole, oh God, show me your will. What do you want me to do with my life? And God's like, well, I want you to obey me now. That's what I want you to do with your life. But God, I want to know the future. And God's like, I want to know if you're going to obey me today. So if we begin to say, okay, God, I'll slow down. I'll obey you then God begins to transform your mind and your desires and your preferences to shape in the direction he wants you to go. He begins to lead you from the inside out. But you have to first obey the Lord. So what's my part? Oh, I wanna know God's will. No, that's not your part. My part is God, I wanna obey you. And God says, now I'll show you my will. You do your part, God will do his part. Here's the next one. My part is to give, God's part is to Provide, But what do we skip to? We skip to the, the provision part. Oh, I don't know where I'm going to come up with the money, God. And I don't know, but God's like, whoa, whoa, that's not your part. That's my part. Your part is just to obey what I told you to do. My part is to replenish whatever you gave. Scripture says this in Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavens, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. God says, it's your job to obey by giving, right? Bring the tithe, the first 10%. And then above that, offerings. I know some people's heads are spinning around like, well, will people give 10%? Your heads are really gonna spin and realize people give more than 10%. Like last week we had our, or two weeks ago, we had our annual offering. I'm really proud of you guys, by the way. I just wanna mention this. Our goal is 3 million. We didn't, we didn't quite reach it, it's okay but we're on our way. I want to tell you, I'm really proud of you guys. You guys gave 1.353 million in the last two weeks. That's a huge amount of money. Thank you. So 
We're not there yet, but I want you to know how we operate. We're going to go. I've already told the builders, the people who are, are renovating Padre Island, go ahead and get started anyways. We're going to get started by faith. We're going to send money to Pakistan by faith. We're going to order some needed parts here for our broadcast campus here. We're doing that by faith, and we're just going to trust that God will provide. You're like, Pastor, that's reckless. It is a little bit, but we live by faith. We're okay. Why? Because we trust the Lord, but we also trust that this is the most generous church I've ever been a part of in my entire life. And I know God's going to come through. I believe that. Now check this out. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So when we choose to say, God, what do you want me to do? And then I will give whatever you leave me to do, as crazy as it may seem, then God always comes through for you. I was talking to a lady I just said the day I thanked her and her husband for giving. And she said, yeah, I asked my husband, what are we going to do? And he said, we're going to give all of it. I, guess, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the number of all of it was, but it must have been a lot. And they said, we're just going to do it. And I know God will come through for them, just like he's repeatedly for my wife and I. We've done things like that. God has come through for us too. And so again, I'm so thankful that we are the most generous church I've ever been a part of. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to give alongside you. My wife and I do the same thing with sacrifice as well. But it's my part to give. It's God's part to provide, and he always does. Thank you for giving. Those of you who feel led, you know, maybe you haven't given yet. It's not too late to do that. We've opened up the giving, and it continues open for the next few months for the annual offering. We just want to say thank you for your generosity. We are grateful not only for your doing what God leads you to do, but second of all, thank you for trusting your church. We know that's a big deal, and so we do not take that lightly, and so we're really, really grateful for that. So third thing is this. My part is to choose unity God's part is to bless what is unified. Now, this is a tough one, I'm not going to lie, because we have a lot of division in our culture today. But look what the scripture says. Psalms 133 says this, Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing. Guys, if you'll, if you'll be in harmony with others, if you'll choose unity, then God says, I will pronounce a blessing on whatever it is that you're unified with. Now, here's the opposite of that. Check it out. This is what it says in Colossians 3. Get rid of your anger, hot tempers, hatred, cursing, obscene language, and all the similar sins. That's just what goes on in the break room, right? <laughs> and it says this. Don't lie to each other. You've gotten rid of the person you used to be and the life you used to live. And you've become a new person. It says, don't go back to the old person. Don't go back to that backbiting, gossipy you know, ugly person who's always in people's faces and arguing. Don't, don't be that person. God says, no, bring, bring unity. Let me just tell you right now, if you think that bringing unity means you always agree with someone, then you'll never have unity. So that's not what unity is. In fact, let me show you what unity is. It says this in Amos chapter three. I'm sure you guys have been reading the book of Amos all week, but Amos chapter three, this is what it says. It says, two people will not walk together unless they have agreed to do so. It didn't say... Two people won't walk together unless they agree on everything. <laughs> That's not even possible. I don't agree on everything with my own spouse. I don't agree on everything in my own family, right? But yet we choose to walk together. So if you have to agree with everything the boss ever says or does for you to work where you work, you won't be there very long. If you have to agree with everything you ever hear me say and lead in the way we do church, you won't be here very long. If you have to agree with, let me ask you something. If you're going to stay in this country based upon you agreeing with the government all the time, how are y'all still here? So it's not based upon that, is it? We have to make a decision to live in harmony. It's not always easy. I, I get it. It's not easy to always do that. Years ago, I was in college. I went to this 
retreat. My, my father and mother were, were leaders in this, this kind of a movement. It was a really cool thing. And they said, hey, why don't you come with us and you can be on the youth team. I was in college. I was like, okay, sure, that sounds great. So we drove across town, drove across Houston, and like typical traffic, we were stuck in traffic, so we were late. We finally got to where we were going, and they had already kind of assigned uh, who was going to do what with the different teams. There's the adult team, the youth team. They sent me in a room with all this, and they, they had already assigned everyone. They said, oh, well, you know, you're kind of late. It's okay, but just assist her. And just pointing me to this girl I didn't even know. She was like, okay, sure. So I was like, hi, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. You know, met real quick. She said, okay, yeah, that's great. You can come in my group and just kind of help out. I was like, okay, perfect. So we sit down, and they divided all the youth up into different rooms. And so we had like five or six students in front of us, and she's got the little sheet to follow along and, you know, like the instructions of what to do. And so here's the first question. She's like, you know, everyone go around and share your testimony about how you became a Christian. And they, all, they looked like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like the whole room, like no one even knew really what that was except one kid. That was it. And so she's like, okay, well, uh, what does it mean when you accept Christ? She's like, in my mind, I'm thinking, she's, wait, we, they, didn't, they didn't answer the first one right. What are we doing here? And it dawned on me about the first minute, like this girl didn't know what she was doing. And it was everything in me not to take over. I was just like, I, I got this, you know. But right when I was about to speak up, I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, you're not the leader. You're going to sit quietly and support her, just like you agreed to. I was like, you ever had this argument with God? But God, she's doing terrible. Lord, I can really help <laughs> And God was like, no, you're going to sit silently. So I sat there and watched her fumble around. No one was even answering questions. They're all looking at her with like glazed over eyes like teenagers can do. And she's, she's going through these questions. It's going really bad. This took seven to 10 minutes. Do you know how long seven to 10 minutes can be with a group of teenagers who don't want to be there? So finally she turns to me. She goes, do you maybe want to take over? And I was like, I mean, I can if you want. So at that point, she hands me the sheet, and I was like, okay, the first thing about a testimony, I'll begin to explain, that means like you've had a moment when you prayed a prayer, and you asked Jesus in your heart, has anyone ever done, one guy, well, I've done that. Oh, okay, great. When did you do that? I did it at age whatever. He said, you know, whatever. And so I said, well, if, if, neither, if you've ever done this before, why don't we bow our heads, and you can accept Jesus. Let me explain what this means. This is how you become a Christian. I explained the whole thing. We bowed our heads and said, you want to pray this prayer? We can pray. And then I prayed the prayer. I'm sure I was rough. I, you know, I'm 30 years in ministry now, but at the time, I'm just, I'm in college, you know. But I just kind of went through it. And I said, if you accepted Jesus, just lift your hand. No one's looking. I looked around. They all raised their hand but one, the one that was already saved. It was like, oh, God began to bless the harmony, the unity. It was amazing. And then we began to share, and they all had things to share about. I didn't even know what it meant to become a Christian. And wow, that's so cool. I just prayed that prayer. I feel so different. It was, it was awesome. Then we all go back in the big group, and the leader says, okay, now we're going to have each group share about what God did in your group. I just want to hear from the leaders. And so he points to the relationship. So then the girl that's the leader, you know, she stands up and kind of does the same thing, stumbling all over herself. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my gosh, like God just moves so powerfully and you're not sharing it. You know, and finally she turns, she goes, Bill, why don't you just share what happened? I was like, okay. So then <laughs> so I stand up and I begin to share what happened. And the leader says, oh, my gosh, how many people got saved? And he's like, I said, everyone but one was already a Christian. And he was like, Bill, I didn't know who the leader was. I, I slipped in late. He goes, Bill, tell everyone what you told them. Okay. So I told them about how to receive Christ and what it meant to become a Christian. Had everyone bow their heads. And a lot of people got saved. It was really cool. After that, the guy running the whole thing in the, in the adult side with my parents came over and said, hey, I heard God just really moved. That's such a powerful thing, what God did. God taught me such a big lesson that you cannot expect to have authority until you submit under authority. 
This is such a critical thing. I wish I could tell you it was all gravy after that. Nope, not even close. I go off to college, go off to seminary. Multiple times I was under leadership I did not agree with. It was frustrating. It's like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. And I just felt the Lord tell me, you humble yourself. You stay under authority. You know, and it was not easy to do that for me. I mean, I thought I was the stuff, you know, my wife would tell you. You know, I was in love with myself. I really was. And so I was like, I know how to do this, you know. But God used it to humble me. I eventually ended up under a pastor that I totally disagree with. I was like, this this guy's driving me crazy. It was such a struggle for me. But I knew the Lord told me, you stay, you humble yourself, and you do what he asks and that's what I did. It got so bad. I don't, normally don't share this because I wouldn't want to disparage someone. He is now with the Lord, and I know he loves the Lord. He's now in heaven. But it got so bad, there was a confrontation about 10 minutes before I was even about to preach where he pinned me against the car. I mean, it was, it was, guys, it was bad. But I knew God had told me clear as day, honor the Lord. Can I tell you something else I've learned about that? He was probably right. I'm sure I was so arrogant. One thing I've learned about leadership is that I need to be humbled. And the best way to humble someone is to put them under someone that they struggle with. Could it be that God's trying to get a hold of your heart right now and say, hey, you know what? Maybe your boss, your leader, your coach, your teacher, your parents are, are leading in a way that you don't agree with. Maybe there's gonna be a day that you're gonna lead and you'll expect someone that doesn't quite believe and agree with you to get on board too. So I've been on both sides of the equation and both require humility. Unity is a decision. It's a decision to still believe in your country when things aren't going well. It's a decision to still believe in your company even when they go in the direction you don't agree with. It's a decision to still believe in your church even when the leadership does something you think is dumb. It's a decision to say, I'm in this marriage and we're gonna choose to walk together even though I don't always agree. That's a decision you have to make. I wanna challenge you with this because this is a hard one for all of us. I totally get it. But think about this. David had to submit underneath Saul when he was a shepherd boy, when he knew he was gonna become a king, but he was serving under a king that was literally going crazy. Think about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. I mean, how unfair is that? It's the most unfair thing in the world. And yet he had to serve underneath a guy named Potiphar who was crazy. The only one crazier was his wife who he was trying to avoid because she had the hots for him. And she's like, this is like, this is a bad idea. This guy's crazy, he could kill me. And then his wife likes me. Bad combination, right? So he's running for his life from her, basically. He gets falsely accused, thrown into prison. He stays faithful. I mean, this is unbelievable. And guess what? Then God raised him up. Think about Abraham and the guy named Isaac. Isaac was his son. Isaac was a teenager. God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go up, climb this mountain, bring your son with you. And we're gonna make a sacrifice. Abraham's like an old man now. He's like, okay, God, should I bring a ram? They're like, no, I'll provide Okay, God. So they go up. His teenager knows what's going on. He's like, Dad, where's the ram? We need a ram or a lamb or something to sacrifice. And God's going to provide. Okay. They get up there and the Lord tells them, put your son on the altar. So he tells his son, this is an old man who it could easily be uh, outmaneuvered by his young, in shape son, right? His son's like 17, 18. You know, I, you know Abraham's probably 80. So in, in, at any point, Isaac could have been like, I'm not doing this. But he didn't. He submitted. He laid down. He watched his father raise, raise the knife. Okay, God, this is what you want. And then God said, stop. Abraham, I was testing you as a leader. And I was testing Isaac as a follower. Wow. Authority is a funny thing, isn't it? Because we think authority is about who we're having a problem with, but authority is really about our walk with God. Are we willing to submit ourselves to the Lord and be faithful in a tough situation? My part is unity. God's, I'm supposed to choose unity. God's part is to bless that 
unity. If you'll do that, God will bless the unity in your marriage, in your family, in your work life. He'll bless the, the, the unity in, in your church life. And here's the second part of unity. My part is to be faithful and God's part is to increase me. Think about that. You know what? We always want to increase ourselves, though, don't we? I want more followers. I want to be a big deal online. I want, to, I want another promotion. I want, to be, I, want, I want to be the person in charge. I want the corner office. I want the big salary. Everybody nowadays is trying to increase themselves. And if you can't increase yourself, at least you can increase your debt and make you look like you got more. <laughs> right? We want to increase ourselves. But this is what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians, now in this way, those who are trusted with something valuable must show they are worthy of that trust. I think God may be saying, hey, I know you want more, but are you faithful with what I gave you? Let's just ask that. Are you faithful? Think about the things you have. You know, oh, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm, I'm faithful to God. Well, okay, so God gave you a car. How do you treat it? How do you treat the home God gave you? How do you treat the job God gave you? Are you late to the job that you actually beat someone else out for that job? And, and now you're going to treat it? casually by being late and blowing off what the boss says and spending half your time on YouTube and you're not being faithful. Are you being faithful with the money God's given you? Have, have you brought the tithe them above beyond the tithe? Are you honoring the Lord? Are, are you taking what's left and investing in your future as well as taking care of the bills? In other words, are, are, are you being a good steward? Are you being a good manager of what God has given you? Have you given you children? Are you being a good steward with those kids? Or are you letting your kids be raised by devices? Are we being a good steward of what God has given us? Don't ask God to bless you if you're being unfaithful with what he's already blessed you with. We have to be faithful. It says in Luke chapter 16, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Oh, my family's kind of jacked up, Pastor. Well, if you bring your family to church once every six weeks, that may happen. But if you'll be consistent, faithful, Watch what God does. Here's another thing we keep doing. You know what we do? This next generation, I want to challenge you, young people. We hop. We're like, oh, I'm going to hop in this relationship. Oh, they're not really what I'm looking for. Oh, hop over. This is good. Oh, I'm going to try that job. That's good. Cool. Yeah, they didn't really see, meet my needs. How about this job over here? Hey, how about that church over here? And we just hop around and we wonder why our life doesn't get any traction. And so I just want to challenge you with this. We're going from job to job, relationship to relationship, church to church, town to town. And, and the, the problem is, is that we look at people who are successful and we're like, oh, I want their life. But they didn't hop around to get that life. They planted their feet and they built the life they want. Quit hopping around. You've got to make a decision to make your job seem amazing because you're in it. You got to make a decision to, to say, I'm going to make this small group work because I'm in it. I'm going to make this family work because I'm in it. And so you have to make a decision and say, I'm going to be faithful with what God has given me and quit hopping around. You know, right now, um, another thing that I want to challenge you to do, not only be faithful, but that means putting in the time. That means you don't run around. Uh, you, you don't jump ship fast. You, you, you stay put. You don't ship, jump ship at all. Guys, I'm not telling you something I'm not doing. I'm preaching from the same platform I've been preaching for for 25 years. Stay put and it'll surprise you how God will do more than you ever could dream or imagine. But he's got to have faithful people to do that with. You got to learn to stay, have staying power. And the last one, my part is to live a life of sacrifice. God's part is to reward me and for him to be glorified. Scripture says this, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're supposed to bring 
a sacrifice to God. What does that mean, to, to be a living sacrifice? Well, you know what? Those of you who come to church, that's great. Thank you for being here. But when you choose to stay another hour and sacrifice and give your time and serving, that's a living sacrifice. Did you know right now, we have a little issue going on here at the broadcast campus. We have literally run out of workers to work in our nursery because we have so many new families bringing young children here. Praise God that our church is growing. Isn't that a wonderful problem to have? We're very thankful, right? But we have overrun our nursery so much that we've got every available staff member that is not busy doing something else at the church in those extra hours is actually serving two and three extra services just to make sure your babies are watched. That's wonderful. And I want to give it up for our staff who is amazing. My own wife is back there doing it. It's incredible. But how about we balance this out and have you begin to sacrifice with us? So I, the cha- I was like, oh, I don't want to clap on that. That's not- <laughs> I want to challenge you to go back to the next step center after the service and say, you know what? I'll help out. I'll sign up. I'll help because I got to enjoy a service because someone helped me with my kids. And so I want to help someone else enjoy a service too. Let's give back to the place giving to us. Let's make an impact. Let's make a sacrifice a living sacrifice, we can make a difference together. Scripture says this in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now God says, I'm gonna reward you because you're faithful, but he says a lot of that reward is not gonna come, come until I come back. In other words, Jesus is saying a lot of the reward you're looking for is not on this side of the earth. It's, it's, it's in eternity. So God will bless us, but some of that blessing is not going to be here. And I think this is important to point out because sometimes we love the stories about, oh, I sacrificed and then God blessed me. And I gave this and then this happened. And, you know, I did this and God blessed me with this relationship or with this money or promotion. Or, and those are all great stories. But what about the person who's faithful to the very end and doesn't see that? God's still going to bless them. He's just going to bless them in eternity. What I'm trying to say is that we don't like to hear this, but if you're going to be a real disciple, sometimes life is just hard. And you just stay faithful because God says to be faithful. Because we honor God because it's the right thing to do. So I just want to challenge you. Maybe you need to give not because you need an emotional story, because you just need to give. Maybe you need to sacrifice your time just because it's the right thing to do. Maybe you need to forgive someone because God just said it, not because you feel like it. Are we going to be emotional, uh, inspirational junkies? Or are we going to be true disciples of Jesus? Because a true disciple of Jesus means sometimes it hurts and the preacher steps on your toes and you say, amen, and I'll do it. That's what it means to follow Christ. The last time I checked, our founder died for us. That's a sacrifice. And we forget that. There's a guy named Polycarp. He's not in the scripture. He's one of the early church fathers. He was actually a disciple of a guy named John, John the Apostle, the disciple John, uh, who actually wrote Revelation. He's the only disciple that was not murdered for his faith. They tried to kill him. It's a great miraculous story how he didn't die. Pretty cool story. But anyways, he ended up living on the island, uh, the island of Patmos. And uh, it's a Greek island, but, but he, he, he lived and, and he had disciples, people he led to Christ and raised them up. And one of those was a guy named Polycarp. Polycarp eventually became the bishop or, or pastor of Smyrna. That's a, a little small community in, in modern day Turkey. And he was a pastor of this small church there. He was very faithful. And he was a truth teller and he preached the word of God and he told people about Jesus and many people became Christians. Well, the problem was word got out about that and Herodas, the, uh, 
the, the, the Pharaoh didn't like that, so he, he sent his men to go find him, and now he was on the run. And so he was literally moving all the time. His, his, his uh, Polycarp's followers were, were hiding him because they loved him, trying to protect his life. And he was literally on the run from the government. Eventually, uh, one of his assistants named Quintus betrayed him, felt a lot of pressure apparently, and said, I know you're following him. You don't do these things. We're going to you know, hurt you or your family. So he betrayed him, told him where he was. And by the way, if you're going to be in leadership, you're going to deal with betrayal. That's part of being a leader. If you're bothered by that, don't ask God to make you a leader. I mean, you get that upset over someone's Facebook comment, come on. Then don't expect to be a leader. So he was betrayed. So now um, the king's goons came to get him. They found him in the farmhouse. All his assistants were there with him. They barricaded the door to protect him. And they were beaten on the door and they were going to get him eventually. Finally, Polycarp said, unlatch the door. He said, sir, we know what they're going to do. He says, I know what they're going to do. It's fine. Just unlatch the door. He walked out. They grabbed me. He said, get your hands off me. I know where I'm going. Let's go. And he willingly walked with them to go stand before trial before Rome. He ended up in a small Roman court there in Smyrna. And uh, basically they said, if you'll recant your faith, if you'll deny Christ and follow our Roman gods, we'll let you live. If you won't, we're going to torture you and kill you. And he said, it will be a privilege to die for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They couldn't believe it. They said, fine. Therefore, we are going to kill you by burning you at the stake. And he said, okay, give me an hour to pray first. They said, sure, take your time, whatever. We're going to get everything ready. So they did. They had a small uh, arena so they could gather everyone there in the town. This is how Rome ruled so, so much with an iron fist. They gathered all the Christians to watch so they could say, this is what happened. All the people, I'm sorry, to watch. They could say, this is what happens if you become a Christian. This is what we'll do to you to try to threaten everyone. So he prayed. And his, history tells us, historians, eyewitness accounts tell us that his prayer was so powerful. He prayed out loud. His prayer was so powerful. Many people gave their life to Christ, even hearing a man pray who was about to give his life. Eventually, they led him into the arena. And they said, put your hand against the post. The man grabbed, uh, the Roman centurion grabbed a, 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 a hammer and a big nail. and was about to nail it. He said, no, 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 not like my Lord. He goes, you don't need to do that. I'm not going to run off. And then he just sat there and hugged the stake and said, I'm not moving. They covered him in kerosene and lit him up. But when they did that, there's something I didn't expect. He was on fire. He was burning, but he was not being consumed. He sat there holding the stake on fire and his skin was fine. They could not believe their eyes. People were freaking out. Finally, one of the Roman centurions said, just get a, get a sword and stab him. And they did. They stabbed him to death and then he died. But because of the way he died, many people watched him and became Christians. What I'm trying to say is even in his death, he was on fire for God. He literally gave his life. Our faith is a faith where our founder died on the cross, where his disciples were all murdered but one, and even the disciple who wasn't murdered, his disciple was. And yet we freak out when the preacher asks for a little money so we can do missions in Pakistan. We freak out when we say, oh my goodness, they want me to give another hour of my time to watch kids. Guys, our faith is a faith that requires sacrifice. If we're gonna be disciples, we have to be willing to give our time, our treasure, our energy, our sacrifice. That's our part. And then, and then, God does his part. 
bow your heads with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We just take a moment to pray right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you doing your part? Pastor, what's my part? Are you obeying God? Are you giving to the Lord? Are you making a sacrifice? Are you living in unity? Are you choosing unity even when you want to choose otherwise? Are you choosing to be faithful? Are you choosing to be sacrificial? God says, do your part. Then, then and only then, I'll do my part. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If God is speaking to you today, just lift your hand high. If you know what the Lord's telling you to do, just hold your hand high. Maybe you got to let go of some anger <laughs> towards someone that you're lacking unity with. Been there, done that. Maybe for you, it's choosing to stay faithful in a marriage that feels empty. Choosing to stay faithful in a job that feels like a dead end. Choosing to stay faithful in our community, in our country, to still believe that God's hand is on us. Maybe for you, it's to choose to give when you've been holding back. Could there be a direct correlation between a lack of progress in your career and your lack of giving? I believe so. What's God doing? How's God stirring you? It's time to obey the Lord and do what he tells you to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Christ literally sacrificed his life for you. Now he waits for you to receive him. You can pray this simple prayer. This is your part. You pray a prayer. God's part is to save you. You can pray this prayer with us right now across all of our churches. You can just say this with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, no one's looking around. If you just gave your life to Christ, would you just lift your hand high right now? No one's looking. Just hold your hand high. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our churches right now. Thank you. We see your hands at Rodfield. Thank you. Hold your hand high. Thank you. Right there at Stone Oak. Hold your hand high. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Rockport Fulton. Hold your hand high. Praise God. Thank you, Padre Island. Praise God. God's moving in all of our campuses. If you're online with us right now and you just gave your life to Christ, just text us in the text chat right now. Just text my hands raised or click hand raised right now. We praise God for the decision you made to give your life to Jesus. Father, thank you for the way you're moving through your word. Thank you, God, that we have a part to play. And we know, Lord, that you will do your part if we'll do ours. Thank you for your truth today. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.